I'd literally never done that before. And all of a sudden I didn't know how to behave in it because there was no imagery that I'd lived attached to that appearance. Um, and then suddenly it, it allowed me to just be myself because I didn't have any other person to be that I could just revert to. Uh, and that was what, that was what changed my entire existence in the world. Hey friends, that was Jordan Plotnick, today's guest. My first encounter with Jordan was while bundled into a bus on a wine tour many, many years ago. Another life and another time for us both. Most of us will give over to at least a kind of transformation as the moments of our lives ramble on. Though in his case, the journey tells of a complete and considered reconstruction of self. One that can only truly be executed through deep introspection and commitment to being on metal again and again. As an artist, musician, engineer, and scientist, Jordan has chosen to devote his life to solving some of humanity's most pressing issues through professional pursuits in multiple fields, including cybersecurity, counterterrorism, and critical infrastructure, though we don't really delve into those here today. Inspired by both the moral challenges of his ongoing security endeavours and his travel experiences, his artwork, which is expressionist painting mostly, explores themes surrounding the nature of humankind and human society at large. When I tune into Jordan, I sense a man standing at the centre of the world, listening and feeling as it heaves endless data points at him without much consideration at all for his own determinations. Perhaps once he tried to catch them all, metabolise en masse. But in this moment, he conducts the onslaught like one might an orchestra. Part detailed composition, part spontaneous riff. It feels to me like Jordan employs a receptive and inner knowing of where these edges are best met to conjure potent, commanding melodies that beckon us all forward into the skin of our own inquisitive nature. He joined me for a conversation from his little pocket of Montreal, Knob Creek, Kentucky bourbon in hand, and curiosity in heart. At times, we meandered into territory we have covered off air previously, and then delved deeper. And at others, we met at the fringes of fields not yet explored in our conversations. I really enjoyed this chat with Jordan, and I hope you do as well. If I wind all the way back to when we first met, which honestly mm. seems like lifetimes <laughs> ago for both of us. Like if I yeah. if I think That's of a long time the ago. people we yeah the people we were when we met, um, which I believe, if my memory serves me, was on a bus on a wine tour in yeah. Adelaide. Yeah, yeah, in Adelaide. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, definitely me, but also you were not a nomadic artist <laughs> no, who no, had was, any yeah. clear intentions of <laughs> traveling in Mexico and living in Montreal and 
any of that. And so before we get into like kind of how you got to where you are, cause I am hella curious. Um, I mean, I know that we've talked about it before, but also, um, having the opportunity to sort of just like sit down and focus the attention on it is very cool. But back then, and I know that you've, you've had like many, you've actually, you've got a YouTube video about this. You've got many different points or anchors, I suppose, on your journey, but say like roughly around at least like that period of time where we met, um, what, like, what was sort of nourishing you then? Like what was it that you were craving in the world back then? Because you were working full time in a military role and, you know, like nothing, like not even anything close to to where you are now in a sense, I feel. Yeah, it was a very different world that I was living in. Um, I believe at the time we met I was still conservative, right-wing, military, full-time engineer. Um, I've always been into music, but I hadn't discovered painting or anything and just a completely different person. What was nourishing me? That is a very good question. Um, Actually, I was, I I suppose, just starting my search into myself and what I wanted for my life when we first met, uh, which was interesting because you've been sort of in and out there along the whole journey. Um, um, but yeah, I was, I was renovating a house with Lizzie and, uh, doing my masters at the time, um, and being deployed all the time because of the role that I was in. Um, so I was, I was being kept very busy, but I was also coming out of a very religious upbringing. Um, like when I joined the military, I was still living at home, uh, and I was heavily involved in, uh, in like the uh, a Christian Pentecostal church, um, even even though I'm Jewish, which I assume will come up at some point, um, <laughs> it, was, it was complicated, and um, I was I was just starting to question things. Like I'd been moved out of home and um, uh, you know in, into a different city in, in Adelaide, and just started to feel a little bit free to question and explore. Um, and so I guess at the time that was my primary focus. Mm. There was this turning point that I find particularly curious where yourself and, um, Lizzie had come over for dinner and you were in a, I wouldn't even call it a tangle, but it was just this sort of like reinvention of like an aesthetic, like a, just a style kind of aesthetic. Mm. And then like three weeks later, I was informed that you had started painting and you were already selling to galleries and you were like, I think you were doing ceramics or something as well. And I was like, what, what happened? Like, it was just such a short time, right? Such a short time. And this is like, it's this rapid transformation and it feels like you're just, once you got going you in, and you were in that motion, that fluid motion of like the waves, you've just kind of rolled with it and become more and more open to each shift. But like that period of time, that seemed, at least from the outside looking in, your change of aesthetic seemed to crack something open in you. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, that Actually, that night was pivotal in my my entire experience of the world. 
which is mm. funny. Like I really wasn't prepared for that. I had been questioning. I'd come a long way already by the time we got to that um, to that dinner. But um, so like at, at that point, I was already polyamorous and and starting and like considered myself atheist and and stepped out yeah. from anything to do with the church. Um, so I, I had made a lot of changes up to that point, but as you said, like the aesthetic, like you, you said something which challenged me about the way that I appeared. I only just started to, to change it because the military, you know, it's a very rigid mm. environment and very it makes conservative. It yeah. Extremely conservative. And I'd been in that for, for so long that I hadn't really, um, like uh, the question of appearance hadn't really occurred to me except that I'd started dating uh, this girl in Melbourne and she was questioning it. She, she <laughs> rightfully so pointed out that I was dressing like someone in the mid forties. Um, <laughs> and, and that, <laughs> that, that really um, stood out to me. I'm like, you know what, you're actually right. And anyway, I started like changing a few things, but when I came there that night, you said you, you challenged me to um, like if, if I could dress as any way that I wanted, uh, like if I could just wear anything, uh, what would that be? And then you challenged me to try it for one week and see what happened. And that week was life-changing. It, it like blew my mind how much your physical appearance makes you change in your behaviors. And, and like not to say like to anyone who doesn't know you, when, when the comments are made that you were dressing like a, whatever, a mid-40s person, <laughs> it wasn't like daggy dad either. You, you were still like very stylish and still had a lot of thought put into the way you presented yourself in the world. But I suppose the the contrast would have been is that for someone who was, um, so you, I think you're working remotely by that stage and you definitely still producing music and all this sort of stuff. It maybe just didn't quite feel like it was a skin that matched how everyone was experiencing your insides. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. It was still, yeah, it was still very well put together, but it was like a clean professional, uh, like a business casual style um, with the, the like the chinos and the polo shirts. I don't think I actually, I literally didn't own one t-shirt. Everything had a collar on it, uh, which it actually still does. Interestingly, now that I think about it, <laughs> but for different reasons. <laughs> uh, when you challenged me, like I, I remember, like I immediately thought of, I knew exactly what it was that I liked. I liked the flowy tops and the, the more like colorful um, patterns and, and things which are a bit more eccentric. Um, but I guess I hadn't felt uh, the confidence to do it. And it didn't feel like it matched me because in my head I was still, you know, military, uh, cybersecurity consultant. Um, music is, has always been part of my life, but it wasn't anything prominent. Um, mm. and so I, I remember actually I made a comment, uh, you said, Oh, why don't you wear that? I'm like, I can't wear that. They're like artists wear that. I'm not an artist. And, <laughs> and you're like, yes, you are. You make music. <laughs> I was like, ah, oh. oh yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, when I did it, then I was like, well, I might as well buy some paints and give it a shot. Cause, um, I, <laughs> just like, I watched a movie a couple of weeks earlier and a, a scene stood out to me. So I was like, you know, I want to try painting and to see. And then, yeah, uh, like, I don't know, it just took off. It was crazy. It was really crazy. And I was like, I can't go back to what I was wearing now. I just have to, I have to embrace this and take it, take it further. <laughs> that has continued to bend my mind, even though it's been quite some time since then. And you have, you know, lent into this direction so fully that 
it feels like the other selves that I met of you were, you know, decades ago. But I am so fascinated and stoked by this whole thing of, well, I'm wearing a flowy shirt now, may as well get some paints. (laughs) Turns out I can paint. Yeah. That is something that I think I will be wanting to talk to you about literally every time we see each other from here forward. Cause just, it's one of those moments that fascinates me that I want to deconstruct and try and decode because there's a shift in there where it's your entire being took on the artist role that you wanted, but didn't think you could connect with Mm. by changing a shirt but it's obviously it's not a shirt, but it's like, yeah, the way you express yourself brought in this whole new way of being. Mm. I suppose, like, yeah, that's that's right. And, and I suppose it, it was particularly strong for me because having been in the military, not only in your professional life but your private life, like there's a big emphasis on appearance, uh, like a huge emphasis. You get your routine inspections every week where they'll come, you stand up in a line and they check your uniform and all this other stuff. And we're trained in a way that when you put on the uniform, you take on this very strong, bold role uh, where, you know, if anything's happening, you have to step in and do something about it. Uh, and like, and you're very visible in camouflage uniform, ironically. Um, <laughs> but like when you're not in a war, war environment, it is, it stands out, you know, you walk around yeah. the street. Yeah. Um, so it puts you in this, in this place where you have a strong sense, like your identity is very strongly connected to your appearance. And when I take off the uniform, I become a slightly different person. Uh, and you know, it depends like, because I was still dressing very clean. Like I'd take off my uniform, put on my casual clothes and I'd still be ready for business. You know, like I was still very, um, you know, decisive and clean cut and everything. And so when you, when you challenged me to put on the flowy shirt, I'd, ne- I'd literally never done that before. And yeah. all of a sudden I didn't know how to behave in it because there was no imagery that I'd lived attached to that appearance. Um, and then suddenly it, it allowed me to just be myself because I didn't have any other person to be that I could just revert to. Uh, and that was what, that was what changed my entire existence in the world and it it was really crazy that that those that month was like it blew my mind I couldn't believe it I actually I would wake up every morning and be like man I cannot believe that I painted that and that I'm dressing like this and that you know whatever like it just opened me up to so much more ex- experience that I could have for some reason do you feel that putting on a flowy shirt or you know not a not iron shirt even kind of thing, you know, like something that was even just slightly different and knowing that you like that this is a shirt that is not going to be in a situation where you're ever going to have to be inspected and scrutinized. Do you think it was that understanding in you that you didn't have to live up to a role that suddenly you were like, now I get to create the role? Cause no one else is in charge or no one else is going to be kind of like checking the boxes on this. Yeah, it's a really good point. Um, yeah, I mean, uniform is obvious, but even with the business casual clothes, it does, it does feed into that role where you, I mean, you dress that way. And even I would verbally say it to people like I dress this way because you never know 
who you might meet and then it's a way of being presented like it's a specific message that you're giving to the world um but i wouldn't say that putting on the um like to taking on this bohemian style wasn't attached with a role because in my mind the reason why i hadn't done it before was because to me that was attached to the role of creative um and i hadn't seen myself as creative uh like overtly before um and I think that that's actually what challenged me to to delve into it a bit more because I was like, if I'm going to dress like this, I might as well live up to the image. Like to to put a bit more um, meat into it, uh, it's it wasn't that I just started painting and and that was it. it. Like I had a lot of anxiety built up in me from a lot of different experiences. I had I didn't have a particularly easy um, childhood or family situation, and then um, there were a lot of experiences I had in the military, which which were very uh, challenging and um, had a couple of mental breakdowns, which is why I left. And uh, and then since then, like you know, I've I've been sort of floating around. And music has helped me a lot to uh, to get negative emotion out. But it's generally around depression, sadness, more mellow things. But what I was feeling was anxiety, and I didn't have the skill set to get that out. Like I couldn't just I don't know play heavy metal by myself or something. <laughs> um, and so. When, when I delved into painting, all of a sudden that was an outlet and everything just took hold. Um, and so the the way that I dress freed up my mind to be able to try a different outlet, which then resonated with me deeply. And that's why I've continued to it. And you still travel with paints, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. It's very challenging. <laughs> but I've done it. <laughs> I've been, uh, I just painted an entire series in Mexico and um, I managed to get it back on the plane actually my laptop right now is resting on the top of a big roll of about a dozen paintings <laughs> and so so from the first couple of paintings you did to then becoming so visible that you've caught the attention of galleries in like it felt like a literally a blink of an eye how do you that's a big internal permission slip that you have to give yourself to become visible in the world in that way. I think, I think there's so many people who crave it and, you know, there's just something that doesn't quite click, but then there's a, this freedom in you that you've unlocked and that you're able to now pour out an anxiety that's freed up some space and then cosmic things, synchronicity, whatever happens. Mm. And you become visible to galleries in just like a beat and this anxiety that you were carrying is now becoming art that people want to put on their walls. How did that feel in you? Like that, that, that very quick transformation. That's a, yeah, it's a very good question. Um, to be honest, like, so I've, I've been, this, this dinner that we're talking about was just over a year ago now, I think one year and two months. Um, so I'm actually still sort of coming to terms with it. Um, like since then, so much more has happened. It, it's been really crazy. Um, uh, I'm now, I've got work in six different countries and I'm being shown in a few different galleries and I've had um, features on magazines and like, it's just, it's really blown my mind. Um, and yeah. I, I still haven't fully come to terms with it. Um, but it, after that moment, like, it just, it really felt 
right, obviously, because I, I know how hard this stuff is. Like it, it's it's very difficult to be seen in the art world. Um, it's it's really not not a simple thing. And somehow these things aligned for me. Um, really, it really resonated with me in a way that I'd never felt with my cybersecurity work. Um, I just felt this deep sense of meaning and purpose. Um, and then that took me until October last year to actually get my head around because um, up until that point, and to be frank, like I, I'd never, I never saw value in the arts really besides entertainment perhaps, which I've never been much for. <laughs> Even as a musician, I don't listen to that much music. Um, it was more of an outlet. Uh, and I never understood art. But when, um, so until October last year, I, I, I really um, interrogated this, why, why do I feel so fulfilled from doing this? And what is the purpose of art? And, and what, you know, what is this world I've just been thrust into? Um, and in October last year, I made a decision that actually, this is perhaps the most meaningful thing that I can do with my life. And I am actually going to recognize myself as an artist first and an engineer second. Um, and then that's, or that's started taking hold on my, on my journey since. And since then, like I've been nomadic and doing these other things. Um, but that was a huge decision for me. And it was only because for me, art is the inquiry about reality and about the world that we live in. Um, and perhaps it's the most meaningful dialogue about, the world. Mm, I just got like a little wave of emotions as you like spoke of like the acknowledgement of artist first. It's like you've chosen to put that lens as your way of understanding the world exactly. as priority. And to be able to make that switch to go from the the systems based, you know, there is effectively a right and a wrong either way to artist where it's more contemplative kind of thing. You can see the nuance. Um, that's beautiful. That is beautiful. And it's a bit like, it's a bold, courageous thing to sort of go, no, nah, this is where I'm at. Yeah. It, it really felt <laughs> courageous at the time. I must admit, like it was, a, it was really scary. I still remember the exact moment I did it. I was on a train to Quebec City to, to um, hand in my resignation. Um, <laughs> and, um, yeah, that was, yeah, it was insane. Uh, and you're, I just want to emphasize that it really is about the way that I look at the world. And I've noticed since then, like, I've just been so much happier. It's, it's really crazy. But I'm just, instead of looking at everything and trying to find solutions to everything. It's more about just looking at it as it is and then just reflecting on it as it is. And, you know, my engineer brain, whether or not I can fix it or not, isn't the main thing because uh, that was what was causing me anxiety. Um, it's, it's that um, <laughs> this is the world and the world has always been and it always will, the universe always will. And I'm just, I'm here to experience this part of it and, you know, let's experience it instead of stressing about solving everything that, especially if it's out of my control. Yeah. Yeah. What has been the most beautifully confronting part of this? Uh, actually a few, a few different things come to mind. Um, I'm still like grappling with the beauty of it. I must admit, um, <laughs> but 
I've noticed that because I change so rapidly and and so extremely, a lot of my relationships have been challenging since that moment because up until now, mm-hmm. everyone that I've ever known has known me as the engineer, the the worship leader, the uh, the school captain, the uh, the military guy. Um, this is this is something which has been very attached to me um and mm-hmm. that that week <laughs> i just suddenly threw it all out the window not not really but you know on from the outside it might look that way um and just became this bohemian hippie artist uh guy traveling around like essentially well i guess literally homeless in a, in, in a lot of ways no address to my name only a backpack full of things um it, it really threw a lot of my relationships into <laughs> into turmoil. Uh, and it's been interesting. Um, uh, like, yeah, it's been interesting just experiencing that and seeing the people that are able to, or have put in the effort to understand where I'm coming from, why I've done this and, and acknowledge that this has actually always been me on the inside. And it's just due to my circumstances that I was anything other than this already. And then the other group of people who have flat out rejected it and uh, for various reasons, whether it be the religious side mm-hmm. or the uh, or whatever, um, just struggling with my new identity and struggling to acknowledge that this is me and not just, you know, like a, a midlife, uh, perhaps it is a midlife crisis, but <laughs> it doesn't make it illegitimate, you know? <laughs> And hopefully yeah. it's not the middle of my life. That's a quarter life crisis, but yeah. Um, so that, that has been very interesting and it's taught me the art of letting go, I suppose, um, of acknowledging that things were good for a time and, and there is a time for things and that time doesn't have to be forever. Uh, and it doesn't make it bad. Um, and actually another huge thing, uh, now that I think about it, another huge epiphany and, and something which, which I'm, I'm definitely acknowledging the beauty and it's just difficult to really get into it is this switch from systematic, um, almost code, like, you know, script, like interpretation of decisions and, and seeing the world to this mm. in- intuition, which I use in my painting, but it's now started to seep into my actual life, um, about where I choose to move and how I choose to live and what I, um, even down to what I choose to eat, like I, I, I've gone from checklist style to really intuitive style. And that's, uh, that's been another crazy mind fuck, if I can use that word. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> all language is welcome here. All language. Um, okay. So I have two curiosities bubbling under the surface now. And the first one I'll ask is, you just spoke about the um, the seasons of maybe connection and friendship, and how some people are like, "Oh, this is this makes sense." You know, I didn't realize it makes sense, but it makes sense that this is you, and you just didn't have the outlet for it. And then there's the group who are like, "No, you're different, and I don't know what to do with you now." And so, therefore, you know, like I don't know where to put this puzzle piece. Um, do you reckon that you have really challenged a lot of those people who don't know what to do with you as well in that? And I, I, to give this a bit more like color, um, the time that I spent mingling with more of the military crowd 
because, you know, like one of my dearest friends and to call her my sister, she's, you know, in, in the forces and, um, all of that. But I know that, you know, I used to have all colored hair and piercings and I mean, I still have the tattoos that don't go away, but you know, like people would often say to me like, man, I wish I could color my hair green or whatever. And my brain was like, you literally just, you go to the hairdresser and they do it, you know, like, I'm just like, well, you could, you know, you've, you're just chosen to be in this structure. And so therefore there's that invisible barrier, I suppose. Do you think that's challenging to be like, oh shit, there's someone who breaks everything that I thought was impossible. Like I thought that was impossible for me and he's just going to prove it wrong. That, yeah. I mean, I can think of a few examples where I believe that to be the case. It, it's hard for me to speak on behalf of how they perceive me. Yeah. Um, because internally also for me, I hadn't, um, it wasn't that I felt like I couldn't do this. It was just that the structures I'd put around myself were so strong that I felt I shouldn't do it. Right. Um, and ah, okay. so yeah. I was willing to break through that structure in order to do it. And, and so, but from the outside, I can definitely see how someone might see me as rule following and then not, um, which is perhaps the source of confusion. But I know like from a professional perspective, I have experienced some interesting, uh, I suppose, nonverbal feedback uh, because it can be confusing to a lot of people how I can go from someone who really looks like they are a, a professional cybersecurity consultant a manager at, at a consulting firm or now yeah, partner at a consulting firm to someone who looks like me and still retains that job. Um, and I know a lot of people were challenged by that. My, a lot of my Australian friends at least uh, were challenged by that uh, because there is a very traditional working environment in Australia still, um, which I haven't found here in Montreal. In Montreal, no one cares. I've got a septum piercing and like grew out my hair and this other stuff. But in Australia, I knew when I was growing out my beard after the military, as every ex-military person does, um, I, I would be cautioned every now and then uh, just to keep it in check. And you know, whereas and you know, you're always wearing the suit and tie in, in Australia. Whereas here, there's really none of that. So when I moved to Montreal, I felt a lot more free um, as well. So I did. I have received positive feedback from more senior people, uh, actually. Hmm. Um, and if I circle back to my other question. When you spoke of um, going from that systems perspective to intuitively doing things, like say with eating or, you know, with you know, I'm assuming this is seeping into everything you do now. Well, I, I'm curious to know the difference between how that feels in your being. Yeah, it, it's a, it is a huge contrast. Um, so the, the first thing is that with a systems based view of the world, uh, it's, it's highly efficient, highly effective, but it doesn't live in the here and now it's, it lives in the future. Uh, and as Lizzie can attest to this if you, next time you talk, talk with her. Uh, but I wasn't living in the here and now everything was future. Anything that comes across my path is an input. And, and then I have to think about what is the output of that. Uh, and so I was achieving a significant amount, but never stopping to acknowledge it. And um, I was 
I was I had all of these great plans, which which were coming to fruition and were very exciting, but I was never actually living them. It was just I get to the end and say like, I achieved that, and then I look back and live it in retrospect. Um, mm. And that moving from that to an intuitive base, where instead of uh, looking at everything, weighing up all the options, uh, and I, I want to say that I haven't yet applied intuitive based thing into everything, but it is seeping in there. Um, as, uh, for, for example, with location, like as a nomad, I was had to choose places to live. And so I started that journey in my engineer brain, systems-based thinking, and I had this spreadsheet with a list of places that I wanted to see, prioritized, color-coded, um, and then like, you know, pros and cons such as living costs versus other things. Um, and, and then I'd make my way through geographically on the map um, and go place to place as they, um, as they appealed to me in my spreadsheet. To moving into the intuitive base, I literally didn't even look at that spreadsheet after my first couple of weeks. And I should, I, I would usually look at the spreadsheet. Uh, honestly, like when I travel, I'd, it actually really, I do use it. I have used it in the past. But moving to the intuitive base, it suddenly was like, oh, this place sounds cool. Let's go there. Uh, and <laughs> and then I went there. Um, and, uh, yeah. and, and same thing with eating. Instead of having like a, a list of everything I was going to have the week, it was like, oh, I feel like this. Let's go get it and actually go out of the house and get it. Um, it it's, it's much more here now. And down to the point where I was literally noticing that I was stopping to look at my environment and really take it in and being okay to just sit on the beach for a bit, eating my pizza and looking at the waves. Um, whereas from a systems perspective, that doesn't serve that much purpose. And I'm, obviously I'm exaggerating it for the sake of discussion. I would sit on the beach and eat pizza, but in my engineer brain, I'd be thinking about what's next. Um, whereas in my artist brain, I was just there and I was, I was in that moment and who cares what's next at that point. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> So obviously this is a very personal journey and obviously this is, you know, something that you have been exploring, you know, in relation to yourself and your own world and, and all that sort of stuff. And we have touched on friends and all of that sort of stuff. But I know that you and Lizzie have been together um, for quite some time um, whether there's challenges or not overall, I've seen you guys be really quite supportive of each other in the different iterations and the different reinventions. What does it feel like to have at least one person in your corner when I know you've spoken to here, like, you know, the different facets or groups of your life who, you know, there was friction with, what has it been like to at least have that one person it, it was vitally important, especially for me. Um, it's been, yeah, it's actually, it's a little bit of a miracle. If you ask me how Lizzie and I have managed to essentially walk the same path from extreme right to extreme left. Um, but it, it's been incredible right now. We are living apart and doing our own thing, um, but it's not because of any friction. It's more to allow ourselves to fully experience who we are as individuals before then um, reassessing how we, if you know, how we might work again as a couple. Um, but it's, it's really amazing to, to have someone like we, we talk almost every day um, just checking in and 
uh, you know, we know everything about each other's lives. Uh, we both went to the same school and um, we went through the whole journey of, oh, wait, creationism isn't necessarily 100% the truth. Like, <laughs> what's, the, yeah. what's the deal with this? What's evolution? What's all this other stuff? Um, and, you know, having someone to explore the world with like that is, is pivotal. And I am a very extreme person in general, um, if you haven't already gathered that from this discussion, but I, I always have been. <laughs> and so it's been great to have Lizzie, who is much more stable, um, even in her changes. She's much more um, solid ground, I suppose, like something that is there no matter what, like if I'm in a massive high or a massive low, she's always somewhere around the middle. And that's been very important mm. for, uh, for my own journey, for sure. It's, um, if I just think of my own experiences from, you know, quite young to now, and I think of the times I felt like I was thriving, it was having, whether it was a significant other, but just someone who was a, you know, a constant or solid presence in my corner has always been, um, really valuable because I mean, no one can, no one can like do the stuff for you and they can't, you know, tell you what you need to think and they can't, you know, really coerce you into anything ultimately. Um, unless it's a very unhealthy dynamic, but they can certainly just remind you that everything's okay when it feels like it's falling apart and they can fact check when you've lost a little bit of a grip on stuff and things like that. So, um, aside from Lizzie then who, who have been like the wisdom keepers in your journey so far, whether they be partners or they be friends or even, um, mentors or authors or whoever. Well, through, through the the entire journey, uh, it's essentially just, Lizzie, um, for a number of reasons. One, I'm extremely extroverted uh, in my interactions, which tends to mean that you have a lot of friends, but very few close people. Um, and two, I'm on the move all the time. Uh, <laughs> I'm constantly moving cities, countries, workplaces. So there's not much stable and in my life and not even my fam, like almost especially my family are not very stable in my life. Um, so it's very everything is like a washing machine. Um, and so yeah. I've had people for distinct parts of my life that have been there from start to finish of that chapter. Um, mm. but I guess this is the only string that's sort of come all the way through. And obviously like a lot of, a lot of my friends, um, I've got a lot of very dear friends who have, who have been, uh, remained friends with me up until now. Um, so I definitely don't want to discount that, but, um, in terms of knowing me at, at a personal level where, like, you know, truly knowing what's going on in my life. It's uh, Lizzie's the, the sole person there. <laughs> it's really, it's, it's very sweet to hear people speak about the people that they go to for, you know, a truth check, I suppose, of like, um, okay, what's actually going on here? I need to sound this out or whatever. Um, yeah, it's it's very grounding. It's very sweet. So the way you speak about Lizzie is also so lovely. That string that has stayed connected and and solid through this whole thing, the thread that goes with you. There's yeah. a um. I listened to a 
podcast by a dude called Michael Mead. I think it's called This Mythic Life or something like that. I'd have to check the title. Um, but he looks at the like looks at the world through the lens of mythic stories and um, parables and stuff like that. Hmm. And kind of like tells that story. And he's spoken a couple of times about this one about um, following the thread that pulls you through the world, like just keep following that thread that is your thread. And so that's what came to mind when you were speaking about that is, you know, there's a thread of like our calling that you just have to keep following that one. It's like tiny little wispy thread, but also to hear you speak about, you know, the the wisdom keeper in your life as that felt, it was really sweet. So I just wanted to touch on that. Yeah. Yeah, I really like that. That's um, I'm getting like painting inspirations. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> so I'll keep that up. That thought. yeah, it's a beautiful, beautiful thought. And you just spoke of I'm getting painting inspirations, and my mind just jumped to something I wanted to ask you about. It's because I know you've obviously you're focused on painting. You've also created music, yep. um, video as well. Yeah, music, um, video. <laughs> music video I know at some point you were playing with clay and I would even consider um like as we spoke about the aesthetic of your fashion or dress and something like a renovation or you know all of those as creative endeavors and mm. all of those things that do um work with the muse I suppose or inspiration do, does inspiration come to you differently for each modality or is there a way that's sort of very unique to just you that then translates into everything else? I think that that's something that I'm still discovering in my own process. Um, both my, Mm. um, like, yeah, my creative process with my painting and, um, my more technical process with say my PhD, which is also a creative endeavor. Um, but I find everything sort of cross pollinates. Uh, so when I have, like, I might come across something particularly heavy, uh, say I'm reading a threat report or something or reading about some sort of terrorist incident, um, whatever that is. And then that will inspire me to then paint something. And then that painting will, while I'm painting, I'll be, you know, meditating on that sort of idea, which will then inspire a thought for my my PhD where I'll, you know, write something into a process and then that inspires something else. And it's this never ending chain. And I've got like a, a ridiculous Google keep just full of notes. Um, <laughs> Cause I come up with all these ideas and I just go <laughs> write them down somewhere. Yeah. And so I've got like a list for music video ideas, a list for like, um, you know, sculpting and painting and music and PhD. And it's just never ending. There's so much inspiration in the world. Yeah. It's really, um, it's just about which where you focus. That's that's it. That actually reminds me, and I am gutted every time I bring this particular thing up. I'm gutted that I can't remember where I, I vaguely remember a podcast that I heard it on, but I don't know which episode or who it was and who said it. And I, if I find it again, I will like literally chisel it into stone um, <laughs> because it's just it was someone who. We're speaking about an artist um, who was asked a similar kind of question, like how do you know, um, 
you know, how do you know when to paint or whatever, whatever, right? And they said, I will paint until I can't say what I need to say anymore and I need to switch to poetry until I can't say what I need to say anymore and it needs to become a song. And that kind of process of like I just get curious of like is it the is it me choosing the medium or is it the message dictating how it needs to be expressed? I I, I want to say that um, I, I really I've said this a few times, but I really believe that uh, like when I'm painting, I've discovered I'm kind of I'm more of a conduit. Like it's things just happen and and it is what what it is. Uh, so I might have a message in mind, and I might even have like a very clear idea of what I want in mind. But then as you engage with that artistic process, whatever happens will come out whether you want it to or not. Um, and, and that, and I've like, that is part of the intuition that an artist needs to lean into is just letting your body do it. And the message speaks for itself. Um, and, and I've had that confirmed when I've shown my paintings to people, like I'll have just an emotion or just paint completely intuitive. And then I will, um, you know, I've had people see it and I've, I've had um, some people dream of my paintings and like really like emotionally connect with things and then, you know, have to like buy it later. And um, other people have, um, I, when I was in Mexico, I was doing a Mexican series trying to capture the energy of, of where I was uh, as part of uh, and this thing I've called the Nomad Project. Um, and I noticed my Mexican landlord, he came in and before I started painting, he saw some of my other works and he was like, oh, that's nice. You know, my brother's a painter. And then he came in with the, when I started doing this, this Mexican series just to change the gas. And he had a look, he was like, oh, wow, what did, did you paint this? What is this? And I'm like, yeah, it's part of my, uh, you know, my Mexico series. And he was like, wow, I really love it. And he was like saying, they're looking at it and like, obviously it resonated with him. And that's, uh, that's, that's because I've, of that intuition, that, um, that artistic process just makes its way through. I was there in the environment. I couldn't paint anything other than that. Um, this is just what happened. And this, and that's the thing that people connect with. Um, and, and that's what my engineer mind never understood. Right. Okay. That would be such a pleasure to be able to finally get that. I suppose. It's unspeakably rewarding. I, I, yeah, it's really hard to put into words, which is why you have to paint it. <laughs> <laughs> what is, or is there another um, modality that is calling you? So for me, uh, my the modality that I live in is seasonal. Um, and so okay. uh, for a period of time I'll be, extreme like I'll think dream and breathe painting um and then and then I'll start transitioning into say music and then for the next few months all I can think about is music and everything I feel needs to be expressed musically um yeah. and then I'll also go through that phase with finance um and and um and so there are periods where all I'm thinking about is uh is finance and like looking at um you know housing and investments and um, and then my engineering side, where that's like, I'll just spend like a number of months just writing papers, um, or, you know, like really engaged with learning as much as I can about risk assessment or something like that. Um, so it, it's, 
Um, and, and I'm not sure how much of that is externally driven and how much of it is internally, but I'd imagine there's a bit of a mix of that nature nurture, if you will. Um, cause as I said earlier, when, when I had anxiety, I didn't have a language to express that in and get it out of my, but now I do. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, uh, painting has just resonated so deeply with me that that is my preferred language, um, at least for the foreseeable future. And so I am leaning heavily into that. Um, but everything has its place. And I've found that now that I've got this painting outlet, um, and, and expression, cause it's actually more from more than just an outlet. I'm doing a bunch of things with it. Um, but now I just feel more balanced and, and I can swap between each of these modes as, as I feel the need to. As the, the current situation in the world dictates that it needs to be understood, I suppose. It really is very interesting. This, like, I've been meeting a lot of other artists as well uh, since I've been dressing like this. Uh, <laughs> okay. people, people come up to me and ask me if I've got a cigarette or something. <laughs> um, <laughs> you, should, uh, you look like a guy who smokes. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and, um, you know, it inevitably just starts conversations and it has been interesting to now be able to actually understand their energy and understand uh, more about their mind um, and be able to engage on a deeper level. Whereas before this whole world was, and it really is another world. It's like, it's like a spiritual realm that was closed to me before. Um, and suddenly I'm able to engage and the people I'm meeting and the ideas that I'm coming across and the, um, just the general energy is so excitingly different. Um, and, mm-hmm. and so it, yeah, I really like your expression of it as a language. It, it really is a language. Mm-hmm. It's, and once you start to understand that language, this whole new world's open to you. I mean, that's, that's one of the reasons why I think that art is more important for me than uh, to do than engineering, because my cybersecurity skill set is, you know, it's great. It's very useful. And I definitely intend to continue doing it because of the tangible value it provides the world, especially at the current time. It, it's quite, it's of the utmost importance. Um, but it doesn't, it doesn't actually speak to anything. Um, I'm doing my job well if, if, if nobody knows that I exist. Um, like you don't want to know that the security guy exists because then something's wrong. Um, something's really wrong. Um, whereas art and music, especially music is a, that's a universal language. It doesn't matter if you don't speak the same verbal language. You can look at someone's painting. Uh, you, like you don't even have to know what language they spoke. You know, like they could have spoken Hindi or Mandarin and you can look at an artwork and you can connect with it. You can get emotion from it. Um, people used to break down and cry in front of Mark Rothko's, um, color field paintings. Um, mm. and, that's something that I would, I mean, I have had people break down and cry in front of me when I've explained cybersecurity stuff, um, <laughs> but not for the same reason. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, oh. it's not as uh, intuitively universal. <laughs> oh, that, that shouldn't be funny, but it is. Uh, <laughs> um. The next thing that's bubbling up is it's shifting gears slightly, I suppose, but also not um, because I know that it's like you've touched on it already is opening up the relationship and the 
the poly stuff. Um, when I hear you speak about it, that's been something that has been like really good for you. Yeah. Um, so I feel it would be negligent of me to not offer some space for you to speak to that as being part of your influence on your journey as well. Yeah. Could you speak a little bit to that? Yeah, for sure. Um, so my, my journey into polyamory was, uh, was quite interesting. Um, I won't go back to the beginning, but basically the, the, the main thing that stood out to me and the reason that it really appealed to me when I, when I started opening up my relationship with Lizzie was um, this realization that when you're, when you're closed to anything, um, but in a relationship like a monogamous standard, the, the standard societal expectation of monogamy is that you're closed um, to the point where some people can't even have um, good friends that are of the opposite sex. This tendency to accept jealousy as being fundamental and even healthy uh, to a relationship, you know, as jealousy equals love in a way. Um, mm. Getting rid of that narrative was an extremely helpful thing in my life. Very, very beneficial. And when I started um, being openly polyamorous and starting to date people, but both Lizzie and I grew so much as people, our social circles expanded like crazy. We were able to meet people um, that we hadn't had access to before from all different walks of life. And we realized, so I realized that every, every person that you have a relationship with, whether it be platonic or otherwise, um, is a reflection of yourself. Every, every, you have a unique friendship with, with everyone. Uh, if we just talk about friends so that um, those of your audience who, aren't, uh, who, who are monogamous will be able to relate better. But if you just think of, of friends, every friend you have is a unique relationship. You have different history. You have different things you talk about. You have a different reason why you want to hang out with that friend over another friend at any particular point in time. Um, and each friend that you have allows you to grow in a way that if it's a healthy relationship, allows you to grow in a way that is unique to your relationship with that person. Mm. Um, expanding that to the depth of a romantic relationship was like opened up so much insight into me as a person, um, into my habits, my, um, my desires, the things I love, the things I hate, um, what I want out of life and what I want to give to people. Um, the kind of presence I want to be in the world. These things became so clear to me so quickly. And with each new person that I met, I just had new revelations. Um, and in fact, the, the revelation about being an artist first was due to um, a relationship I, um, I, still, I still have with uh, someone who had moved to Montreal around the same time as me, also from Melbourne, funny enough. Um, and she is an actress um, and a playwright. Um, so an artistic creative type, um, and we're talking about the end of the world at like three in the morning as a lot of um, artists as do. You do. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I was telling her that in my mind, it's either like, you know, all this shit's happening in the world. Um, I can either pretend that it doesn't exist and live a very closed off, sheltered, naive life, or I can accept that it exists and try to solve it. And then die from anxiety. And I was like, I don't see any other option. And she, she, she raised to me that this third option, which I hadn't quite considered at that point was, well, okay. So all these things are happening, but why, like, 
why not accept that they're happening and try to live a beautiful life and make beautiful things in the meantime to give meaning mm. to the life that is there, whether you want to pretend you've got control over it or not. And that was a watershed moment. Um, and that played on my mind for, for about two weeks before I, I was like, that's it. I'm an artist first. Like this is, <laughs> this is what I need to do. Um, and so these kinds of experiences would not have existed for me, um, at least not in the same shortened time frame, um, had I not opened myself to deeper connections with different people. Mm. Um, and that's what polyamory is to me. It's removing these boundaries um, on any relationship um, and not, not, I'm not saying, you know, just have sex with everyone. Um, <laughs> I'm not saying that. Um, in fact, for me, it's, it's more about just, viewing people as people, not as, mm-hmm. um, you're married, you're single, you're, um, you know, <laughs> I'm dating someone. So therefore I can't see these 50% of people. All of a sudden the world is just open and people are people and I can connect with people individually to whatever level feels comfortable with that person. Um, and there's no issue with that. Uh, and that is, that liberates the mind so much to, to, explore completely new ideas about the world and about yourself. I mean, yeah, like I think a lot of people would hear the term polyamory and think that you've both just agreed to go on a massive fuck fest or something like that. But really it feels as you speak to it more about lifting restrictions on intimacy and, yeah, okay, there might be sexual relationships in that, but the thing that you seem to be speaking about here is more about the capacity to feel free in spaces that you can have that twilight kind of under the the covers of darkness kind of conversations that are very like potent and very 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 like special I don't think I've I've had conversations at that time that haven't sort of shifted and changed me in some way um, yeah. and not to say that it, it's just, that's the only way, but it, it feels more like you've lifted restrictions on intimacy and therefore that has created new ways to nourish yourself. hundred percent. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. And uh, I'm certainly not saying that monogamy is, is necessarily restricting you. If it's done in a healthy, no. in a healthy way, it's yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah. Um, but if you think about, um, how much impact, relationships like romantic relationships have had on you um at each point in your life like it's undoubtedly even if it was almost especially if it was a bad relationship like the the impacts Mm -hmm. that that have on you as a person are huge um and then just imagine that with more people that's and that's how you for me that boosted me and lizzie both it boosted both of us into this extreme self-development um self-understanding um, which you need actually to maintain multiple relationships. You need to know who you are um, because otherwise imagine like, you know, it's hard enough if you don't, if you're not comfortable in yourself, if you've got all these insecurities, uh, it's hard enough to maintain one relationship, let alone juggling multiple. So it really thrusts all your vulnerabilities out into the open um, to then challenge you and you have to deal with it. <laughs> um, so you, you can't escape it, but to be a better version of yourself. Mm, that's so beautiful that that has been the the roll-on effect do you think 
or feel that you could have for your for your own self and this is not to suggest that anyone who wants to connect with the artistic lens or anything needs to like throw everything up in the air and you know off they go but do you think that you personally would have found yourself on this path had you not opened up to those different forms of intimacy through poly specifically I I I think I would have come to this point at, at some point I definitely, definitely don't think I would have got here this quickly. And it might have been much more in a much more catastrophic, unstable way. Because <laughs> um, I, I, I knew that there was something imbalanced about myself. Um, I, I knew that. Um, and that was one of the, the motivations to join the military was to really put myself out there and get new experience and challenge, like see what this thing is inside of me. And being polyamorous allowed me to start to step out and explore myself in a way that was measured and over a period of time, instead of had we stayed in a monogamous relationship, we probably could have grown together um, like this, but I feel like more likely it would have been like most other stories you hear where people reach a certain age, have like a complete crisis. And then you go through, you know, really crazy difficult things like divorce and splitting property and getting you know, figuring out custody of kids and, um, and doing all these things where you're just like, I need to be me. And then you throw everything out at once and then try this like crazy new thing. Um, this allowed me, even though it seems very rapid <laughs> anyway, it allowed me to do it in a way that was open, com- communicative and paced. Both Lizzie and I were able to pace ourselves at our own speed just because I was throwing everything out the window and doing it all at once, so to speak. Doesn't mean she had to do it all at the same time either. We could move at different speeds and we had different partners that were able to to speak to us at the different levels that we were at, at each step along the way. Yeah. It's it's sweet and beautiful the way that it has nourished you endlessly. But to hear you speak of it with such reverence as well is just the most lovely thing. And I hope that anyone who is listening to this, who may or may not have opinions on the thing, I hope that they can receive that in, with, with the integrity that you have for it. So thank you for the honesty there too. Thank you for the question. Was, um, <laughs> it's actually really nice to, to think back on this and reflect openly uh, because, mm. yeah, as you said at the start of the call, it, that's thinking back to that time sitting in that bus, which I recall was full of um, military people and their partners. Um, I could have never, not in, like, had I met me now back then, I just, I, you couldn't have made me believe it. It just was so far from my reality. Uh, it's mm-hmm. been really, been a really wonderfully chaotic period of my life. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Okay, so if we, the question I asked at the beginning was what was that guy craving? Like what was the nourishment he was like really looking for in life? And you were just speaking of like that seeking, I suppose, being a seeker and really questioning um, or continuing a, a deeper questioning, I suppose. You probably, you know, you said you'd already been contemplating a bunch of stuff slowly, I suppose, up until that point. But if you fast forward to now, we've spoken about the different ways that you navigated the journey. Like you right here, right now, sitting in your apartment in Montreal, 
what is it that you crave in terms of nourishment from the world at large? What, what I actually, I don't necessarily crave um, something from the world now. And, and I think that's, that's been a, a big step for me to not look outward for this sense of value and purpose. Um, mm-hmm. I, I am now, um, I, I suppose if I was to put it in terms of craving, it's, it's just craving the ability for, for both myself and everyone around me to just be honest with who they are and not feel restrained by social expectations and pressures. Um, and right now that's becoming extremely difficult because, uh, like, you know, with the financial system collapse, I will say, um, at least a depression, um, with the, the growing incompetence of political leaders and, and the growing mistrust of organizations like political organizations and even like the science as a whole, um, the, the, the rise in conspiracy theorists is it's insane. And with, you know, this, this pandemic, which is just the first of many uh, to come, oh, yeah. there's so much instability in the world that I'm just really grateful that I've managed to find stability within myself at this point in time. And I, I intend on delving into that, which is why I've put a stop. I mean, besides the fact that, I, that all the borders are closed at this point in time, I've actually decided to, um, <laughs> to set up uh, a, a home base, which is something that I wasn't planning on doing um, here in Montreal, just to have that space where I can have my studio and, you know, I, I can actually make a home because I've never had a feeling of a home before. Mm. Um, I've never felt at home anywhere and I plan on making this home where I can just continue to be and produce art and whatever else I endeavor and have that stability. Um, and that's definitely been an interesting change over the, even the last two months, to be honest, (laughs) but it feels good already just to be back here. Well, I can see the smile on your face right now and (laughs) the, You know, like the the quiet, settled energy in Mm. you is such a treat to witness. It Mm. is a complex question, what is home? And um, if if the conditions haven't been in your favour during your upbringing, then, um, you know, there are a lot of people out there who don't have that sense. Um, And so, yeah, it's it's, uh, it's pretty crazy when you find it. Mm. Also, I'm kind of... I'm complete with the the curiosity that was moving about me. Is there anything that you feel like in this container needs to be highlighted or spoken to specifically? Um, no, I, I mean, I think we've covered a, a great deal. Um, I, I suppose one thing which, which, which I'll mention, I did mention in, in that YouTube video that you referenced, a, a big trigger into this entire question of who am I is when I was in Vietnam and I met this Israeli couple on a cruise in Halong Bay and they recommended to me um, a book which most people probably would have heard of it by now Sapiens A Brief History of Humankind yeah yeah it's like a a popular science book about uh, well you know popular science is probably how it's how it's categorized (laughs) but it's a history book um, and the guy that wrote it is a professor of history and it's a semi-chronological 
bird's eye view of humanity from beginning to now and mm-hmm. commentary on various different aspects of it, such as the economy and the development of science and the development of agriculture and how that's impacted the human experience. Reading that book was what took me, my head out of this very closed off world of uh, fundamentalist Christianity um, or Messianic Judaism is actually the circle that I was in which in Australia was quite tied still to the Pentecostal church to looking at that humanity as a whole. And that triggered a whole bunch of, of (laughs) questions and all these other things, which I chased, but it was at the moment that I actually decided to, to question what I believed about the world, what I believed to be true um, and really looked for, I guess, evidence-based like an evidence-based reality, like what is actually real and what is real to me um, versus what has been dictated to me in a very controlled narrative. And that was when I, when, when I came to the conclusion that those beliefs were no longer for me, that was when everything opened up. And so that's why I was, that's why I, I changed my diet to veganism and I became polyamorous and um, and I, I became a lot more open to different experiences in the world. And it was on the back of that, that, um, that you challenged me that night to change the way I dressed. And then that was what triggered a, a holistic external facade, like not a facade, but like changed from my facade to, a, to externally being who I was starting to become on the inside. And that was why it was such a, a quick transition. Um, and mm-hmm. um, so, yeah, like, I just wanted to emphasize that because we all have our narratives about the world, uh, but in a religious context, it is a very strong narrative. And so when you lose trust in that narrative, then like that is, that is a huge shift. That's a fundamental shift in your experience of the world. Mm. Mm, Thank you for sharing that. (laughs) That's okay. Yeah. I, th- I felt like it was an important part um, that perhaps we, we glazed over because we have talked about it uh, off, off record. Um, but it, it, like, all of these things combined is, is the, the beast that has become... The beast that has become your magnificent life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm very happy with my life. I, I, didn't, I used to actually not believe in happiness. I didn't think it was real. Wow. Mm. Wow. See, now that triggers me like another hour conversation. Jesus. <laughs> oh, <sorry. laughs> no, no, no. I'm just like, oh, that, that is so juicy. So maybe for another time um, <laughs> because that is one I would want to marinate and, and sit with and, and maybe next time you're in Australia, if you ever return, um, we can sit when we're, you know, we're allowed to be near people again um all right well let's wrap this up for now to be continued at another date no doubt um i want to thank you for everything you shared it's been an absolute fucking delight so appreciate your time and your generosity thanks so much for for having me on here and um it has it's been really great to talk to you as always thank you <laughs>